Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey friends, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I bring on two of my most favorite people, Michael and Adi Cashew. If you've been following the show for a while, you've probably heard them on the show a few times. I think Adi's been on twice. I think Michael's been on twice as well. For those of you guys that don't know who Michael and Adi Cashew are, Adi is the founder of Working Against Gravity, an online nutrition business that works one-on-one with clients to achieve their nutrition goals, as well as educate coaches on how to be a successful nutrition coach. Michael is the president of WAG, host of the Michael Kaz podcast formerly known as the Brute Strength Podcast, and is founder of his new company, Soul Searching for Men. In today's episode, we take a little bit of a deeper dive and a little bit of an interesting and a different topic from maybe what you're used to on the MyFit Podcast. We talked about relationships and more specifically, friendships. Michael and Didi have their own podcast called The Wag Podcast, and they talk about some of these items all the time. And I really love listening because they're short and they give really applicable ways to improve your romantic relationships, your friendships, and your family relationships as well. And I really wanted to kind of scratch my own itch and figure out some ways that I could dive deeper personally with the friendships around me. Um, these two are just kind of a testament to what a great partnership looks like. And if you follow them on social media, you listen to their stuff, or if you've heard them on my show before, it doesn't take long for you to realize that these are two pretty special people that really value relationships in their life. And so some of the topics we got into today, first, I brought up a TED talk that I listened to that I thought was really relevant to kind of set the table for the conversation today. And it was talking about the importance of establishing deep, meaningful, and long-lasting relationships in your adulthood, in your adult life. After that, we discussed what are the fundamentals of a deeper relationship? I think it all sounds good to have a deep relationship, but what are some of the key components of that? After that, we talked about applicable ways to create more depth in your conversations and why it's important to do so. And some other things we talked about were some applicable conversation starters to provide more depth and quality. We then talked about how to build trust and protect the space given. And then at the end, we talked about some applicable tactics to evolve your relationship with your parents and how the dynamic between you and your parents changes throughout the years, whether you're uh, under their roof and they're telling you everything to do or Maybe you're in your 30s and you're kind of establishing your own life, or or maybe you're in your 40s or 50s and everything looks different as different seasons come and go. And so what does it look like to create a strong bond with your parents? If you guys enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review. As you know, that stuff helps my show grow tremendously. I thank you all for the continued support. I think you're going to really, really dig this episode with two amazing people. So without further ado, let's get to the show with Michael and Adi Cashew. Let's go. Michael and Adi Kaju, welcome back to the MyFit Podcast. I think this is round three for you guys. And I just feel so honored and blessed to have what I would call the dream team back on the MyFit Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, great great to be back here, man. It's always nice to 
be with someone that is so like curious and thoughtful. Uh, I always have a great time being on your show. So thanks for having us back. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, likewise, I look up to you guys very much. So there's just so many voices and opinions, a lot of different things out there when it comes to you know the fitness industry, social media. And one thing I can always count on is when Michael or D put out something, it's trustworthy and it's just something that I'm always down to share with other people. So I just really like that you guys are always somebody that I can lean on. And then if members or people want to ask me about nutrition or lifestyle or anything, I can always feel comfortable pointing them in your direction. That's really sweet. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to have a fun conversation today and we're going to talk about something that doesn't get brought up a ton on my podcast, but something that I've really been eager to kind of get into. And I'm going to start with a story first. And so uh, the story kind of comes from a, uh, it comes from a Ted talk that I stumbled upon and I've watched it several times. Uh, and it's one of the most famous Ted talks of all time. It has 21 million views. I think it's like in the top 10 of most downloaded uh, Ted talks. And it's, uh, it's spoken from a guy named Robert Waldinger. And you guys might've heard this before, but Robert's a part of a Harvard study of adult development. And it's the longest study of adult life that's ever been done. And the study has been going on since 1938. So just over 80 years. And basically during this time, they've tracked the lives of 724 men year after year, asking about their home life, their work, their health, and all this time, not really knowing what they were going to expect or what was going to play out. They just wanted to kind of observe these people and see what they would get out of 80 years of watching people. And studies like this are super rare, mostly because most people drop out of the study or the funding dries up or you know, people get distracted or honestly, like people that are running at the directors, they just die and, and nobody continues to kind of move that ball down the field. And currently there's about 60 out of the 724 men that are still alive. Most are in their nineties. And they're now actually beginning to study these men's, their kids. And it's about a 2000 group study. So it's even bigger. And just to kind of give you some more context, they started by um, observing two groups of men. The first were in college at the University of Harvard, where most graduated, and then they served in the war after that. The second group was a group of young boys, um, most uh, very poor and, and, and grew up in dangerous areas of Boston, most with uh, no running water growing up. So two very different types of, of people that they looked at. And for, for decades, these men were, were studied and observed and interviewed, and, and most went into factory jobs. Uh, one was president of the United States. Some people died early. Some people lived long. There's just a lot of different scenarios, as you could imagine. And the interviews Robert really wanted to highlight was that it wasn't just a questionnaire or a survey that they would send out every once in a while, but instead they, they go much deeper than a questionnaire and they would gather medical records. They would talk to their families. They would videotape the interactions they had with their family members. They would draw blood. They would just really get to know these people as much as they could. And it's super interesting because for 80 years, they got to kind of walk alongside these people and they found something that was super clear. And the lessons they learned uh, from thousands of documents and notes was uh, just con comes down to one sentence. And the one sentence was, good relationships keep us happier and healthier. And it's super mind-blowing because I thought they thought at the time it was going to come down to more about recognizing patterns between who makes the most money and um, things that have to do more with fame and fortune. But what came back was kind of three lessons. And the first one was that social connections are really good for us. And the people who have more tend to be happier, healthier, and live longer. And on the contrary, loneliness kills people. And actually one in five Americans say that they are uh, have reported being lonely at one time or another. 
The second out of three was that it's not just the number of relationships that you have, but the quality that plays the most impact. And he talked about how people can have a room full of friends, but still feel lonely or have a family with four or five kids and still feel like they're by themselves. And then the final point was that good relationships not only help our bodies and our health, but also our brains. And the studies that they were able to show was that elderly people feel like when they can depend on somebody when they're in their 80s or 90s, their brain is sharper and thus their memory is sharper as well. And then lastly, as they got into their 80s, they started to look back. Robert started to look back at the people when they were in their 50s. They wanted to see what were some of the commonalities between when they were 50 and what could we kind of tell looking back. And it was interesting because the some of the conversations they were having were on record, basically saying that the guys in their 50s that were more satisfied with their relationships ended up living longer, living happier, and living healthier when they were in their 80s and 90s. And the people that were in their 50s that were in marriages or had relationships they weren't satisfied with died shortly after in their 50s or their 60s. A lot of information. I don't think I've ever talked that much on a podcast. You just sit back and listen. But what are you guys' thoughts when you hear that? Well, that is extremely reaffirming because I think that intuition or, or an intuition that what you said was true has been a real guiding light for me and really for both of us. And we've spent probably more time working on our relationships than any other factor in our life. The relationship between the two of us, with our family, with our social community, that's where we spend the most amount of time. And so for me, it just feels like I'm doing life right in, in some ways. And so it's, yeah, it's really nice to hear um, that concrete example, man. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Adi? I mean, it's so, it seems so obvious and also difficult, like simple, obvious, but usually simple, easy is really, really hard, um, especially in the world that we live in. And I think most immediately it makes me sad about the past, you know, two years of the pandemic and mm -hmm. isolation and how that, you know, we have a just over one-year-old and how is that can impact him in relationships. And yeah, so it makes me like a little bit sad about that and how that impacts the global health in general in the middle of a health crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it, it seems simple and obvious. Right. And I think today what would be cool and what I, one thing I really admire about you guys in the Wake podcast is you just do a really great job at giving very applicable action items. And so what I want to do today is, yes, I think it's great to talk about it, but like you said, Adia, let's take it a step further and let's kind of come up with some, cultivate some ways where people can you know, find some relationships and dive a little bit deeper and not feel so lonely and then ultimately live a longer and happier life. And I think kind of the first place I want to start is friendships. And the reason is because I think there is a lot of information on, you know, um, romantic relationships and we'll get there, but friendships doesn't get talked about as much. When you guys talk about creating depth and quality with friendships, where does your mind go? Oh gosh. I, my immediately, my mind goes to, uh, that it takes depth takes time mm. and it also takes um kind of doing uncomfortable things together or being vulnerable with people so you can have friendships that you've had for a really long time but you never go deep enough deep with you keep things pretty shallow um it makes me think uh immediately of you know having hard conversations with people doing hard things together 
and um, maybe not just doing the average, you know, you go for dinner and then you have a conversation over dinner with your friends, but instead doing, you know, weekend trips together or um, service together or challenging things together um, to create depth in relationships, not just keeping things shallow. But that's like where I immediately go. But I could probably talk about this for the next hour. Perfect. Yeah. A few thoughts I have are in in no specific order. Um, Great friendships have a level of honesty. So my best friends feel comfortable enough calling me out on my shit and vice Mm -hmm. versa. Um, That is one of the things I value most about people closest to me. They are willing to risk me getting defensive or lashing out at them or judging them or whatever to give me feedback on how I'm not showing up. I'm not behaving in line with my values. Honesty is always present. Um, In great friendships, you just show up for each other when it really matters. You don't just show up when things are going well, when they are succeeding, when their life is exciting, but you also show up in their life when they go through a divorce, when they are depressed for you know a significant period of time, maybe when their life is kind of boring and they just need someone to listen to, you show up and you give your time and your attention no matter what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are a couple of big ones. Yeah, those are really big. And I think I like the idea that you said it takes time because it does take time. We can't really force this stuff if it's a brand new friendship. But I think as we get older, maybe I should just speak for myself. As I get older, I crave more of this deeper relationships because I see the significance of it. And honestly, I'm just kind of over the surfacey stuff. Um, I don't know if it's just maturity or where I'm at in my life, but I I just would rather spend more. I'd spend or I'd spend less time going deeper than a long time talking about surfacey stuff. I totally agree with you. I'm so with you on wanting to go deeper and have more committed relationships. And the the time piece too, I think there is like romantic relationships, there's a honeymoon phase to friendships too. So you you kind of have to get through that easy honeymoon phase in a friendship where you're like, this is my best friend, like we're going to be friends for life. And you have to get get through that to have kind of more challenging moments where like, actually, I see how they annoy me or I Mm -hmm. see ways that they disrespected me and getting through those moments uh, to me is where real depth is created. It's, it's not, it's actually not avoiding. I have a history of having friendships in my life where when it would get hard, especially in like high school or college, I'd be like, screw it. I'm just going to find new friends. Sure. Just, you're dead to me. I'm just, this is over. I'm just going to go make new friends. And so I would just hop from friend group to friend group. And then as I got older, I'm like, man, I actually don't want this to just be easy because the depth and intimacy is created when things are challenging and you end up on the other side and realize, oh my gosh, we still love each other. Like I love you, even though we just went through this really hard thing. Um, and we build what, uh, us and our mentors call like relationship self-esteem, like the ability to cope with difficult things together. So just yeah. like a just like a muscle grows when it's torn, right? We work out, we tear up muscle tissue, and then it grows back bigger and stronger. It adapts. Relationships do the same. And so when we go through conflict and a partnership or a friendship, then we have the opportunity to learn about each other, to communicate more clearly, and then we get stronger and closer. 
Sure. Tell me a little bit about the differences in um, male versus female friendships. I think one thing that comes into my mind is that with some of my buddies and some of my guy friends that I could go without seeing them for a long time. And when I see them, I'm like, I'm right back to where we were, right back to high school. I think with women, it could be a little bit different. They might need a little bit more uh, continuing, um, I don't know, time together per se. And I know you guys talk a little bit about, about the different energies between masculine and feminine. What are your thoughts on when we kind of create this conversation about friendships and diving deeper before we take that next step? What are some things we need to know to set the table on the difference between guy friends and girlfriends? Go for it. I mean, I, I'm definitely the kind of friend where we could go forever without speaking and immediately cool. pick back up for sure. I think that I am probably also just have a lot going on. So it's super easy, especially if I don't have this frequency of seeing people. And on the flip side of that, I know Michael loves consistently seeing his guy friends. Like you also can go a long time without seeing people, but you love seeing your guy friends often. Um, what is the dif- the difference? I th- I think. I don't know that I know main differences, but Im- immediately I think we just talk about different stuff. Sure. Um, and I think that the boys in my life, the men that I've noticed differences, they like to to do more challenging things together, like challenge each other, but usually in a physical capacity, which we we like to sit around and chat a little bit more. But I don't know that that's a universal. It could be a universal thing, but I don't know. Yeah, I. I think the fundamentals are exactly the same, but there are some differences in like a a more masculine group and a feminine group. David Data said, and he wrote the way of the superior man. Mm -hmm. He says that the masculine grows with challenge and the feminine grows with praise. And the the feminine is much more flowy and it changes more frequently. The the masculine is more, uh, has more direction, has more drive, those sorts of things. The way that my closest groups, group of friends operates is probably almost exactly the same as hers, but we probably give each other more shit, right? We're challenging each other. Like, I don't know, verbally, we do really hard physical tasks together, but in terms of all of the other things that D and I have already spoke about, I feel like they're almost exactly the same. And what really matters is just communicating with a friends on an individual level about what they expect from a friendship, what you desire from them as a friend. And then with the group as a whole, like if there's a, if there is a quote unquote group to your friends, um, talking about like, what does this group stand for? What are the needs of this group? Um, how do we communicate as a group and, and those sorts of things, because everybody's going to be different. Mm-hmm. When you guys talk about, or we kind of create that conversation of wanting to dive deeper with your friends what is something you guys do? I'm curious on if you guys have like some go-tos or conversation starters or just simple ways that we can kind of take home with us to the next social gathering. How can we not be the weird guy in the group, but also want, you know, we value taking things a little bit more deep. Where, where, where do you go? So I think the most authentic way of going deeper in relationships is just follow your natural curiosity with people. And that requires you to really listen to what they're saying. <clears throat> and so if you start out with you know, the, the usual soft talk, like, what do you do for work and where are you from? Those t- sorts of things. If something comes across as even slightly interesting about where they came from or what they do for work, just pull on that thread and just keep pulling, pulling, pulling 
And five layers deep, you'll come across something that they wouldn't have shared that may be a little uncomfortable for them to share or just gives you a, a better glimpse into who they are. And then you both feel a little bit closer. I think that's like the, the most important foundation. And then from a more tactical standpoint, um, one thing that we do all the time is, is to ask like a question to the entire group or to give a sentence stem, like, um, you know, what I'm most excited about in life or something like that. What? Yeah. Like, so what I'm most excited about in life, I feel like is still kind of not deep. So if you, if you, you can, if you're with it, so you obviously want to read the group, but for example, the, I think that one of the first times we hung out with our group of friends that we met a number of years ago, uh, there's something when you get, get together and you all have a meal together. And it's usually the people that are sitting close to each other that end up talking to each other. And you're usually sitting close to the people you know the most. And then it's hard to actually make relationships. So what we do is we'll pose a question that the whole group has to answer. And everybody, it's only one person talking at a time. Mm-hmm. There is a level of awkwardness to that for some people. Um, I personally just don't care. And if I'm looking for a deeper conversation and deeper relationships, then the someone who's not going to play along with that is probably not a good fit for me anyways. Sure. Um, so and, and keeping it with something like, what are you most excited about in life right now is um, great. And I think sometimes it can still keep things on a surface level. Like I'm really excited about my job. I'm really excited about this vacation I'm about to take. Um, I would challenge you to make it a little bit edgier so I remember the first time we hung out with our group of friends, we, the question was, what is something that you're afraid to tell the group? Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> like, and everyone in the group showed up to play. And usually if you answer first and you say something that's like a little edgy, you're setting the tone for mm. how other people can show up. So if you say, what is something you're afraid to tell the group? And you say something like, I don't know. I, I don't take good care of my plants. You know, it's like pretty not like it's not challenging or edgy. You're the first person. If you know somebody that's actually going to go there in the group, that's not you choose on them to go first. Um, they're probably going to set the tone, but something like a question like that forces people to go a little bit deeper. And it also shows you who might be interested in more in-depth relationships and conversations. Totally. I think there's a lot of, I, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like social awareness and cues and things like that. Like you don't want to just jump in with some of those conversations, but I would like to hear more. Do you have any other type of questions that you think in a, either whether it's intimate or in a group setting? Michael, do you have any that you like to lean on? There's a, you, I mean, there one that's like, that's can go either direction is to just to do a rosebud thorn. So it's super easy because you can say one great thing that's happening in your life, but is like a new opportunity or something that's budding. And then thorn is something challenging that's going on in your life. So I think that can go stay shallow or go deep. Um, it's a good one. Um, what else? <clears throat> one place I'm out of integrity in my life is one thing that's incomplete in my life is one judgment I have of you is that's wow. hard. I feel like you need to have some trust before you, have to you have drop quite that a bit one. of trust. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> Very cool. That's enough, I think. <laughs> yeah, those those are, those are awesome. And you talked to before about you know we opened the conversation. Of what are some of the fundamentals of having deep and, and deep friendships? And you and you talked about being vulnerable. This is something that I think you guys just do a fantastic job on. Um, in in a 
uh, social media platform setting and on your podcast. Michael, when you talk about being vulnerable and let's say we're talking about somebody who has a hard time doing that, a friend of yours, how do you help them to become more vulnerable? Is it you starting, you being vulnerable first? When you, when you, if that's gonna, if we're going to go back to that being one of our beacons, how do you kind of cross that off your list? Yeah, I think you already nailed it. It's just always going first. Okay. And I've made that mistake so many times with people. And yeah, the, the way that I would usually do it in the past is just trying to get curious with other people and asking them what I thought were really good questions to try to pull out something uncomfortable for them. And until I go first, until I share something that is ideally currently uncomfortable for me rather than has been uncomfortable for me in the past, they don't, they don't tend to open up. So just g- always go first as a leader, a partner, a friend, a teacher, et cetera. And people almost always will reciprocate. Yeah. I think that's something Michael does really well also is he asks people in his life for advice. So like, hey, I'm having this challenge. Do you have any advice or can I get some support for, from you? And I think that then has them eventually reciprocate asking him for advice. And then that's like a vulnerable thing to do is to be like, hey, you know more than me and I want what you have. Um, that's another way to like more tactically help someone be more vulnerable and just not doing that without expecting it to come in return. I think if, right. it, if you have this expectation of it coming in return, then you could start, it could feel inauthentic. Yeah, they will, they will be able to read that. Yeah. Also, just be super patient with people. Everybody takes the, it, it, it takes what it takes. And for me, it took me years of basically devoting every waking hour to trying to be more vulnerable. I went through drug rehab and then Alcoholics Anonymous and just so much therapy. And it still took me years to be able to be fully authentic, especially around my peers. So if people hadn't been, hadn't been patient with me, um, I may be dead right now. So just be super patient with people. I think one of the biggest lessons that Michael has taught me about friendship for sure, uh, historically serial friend creator um, is around this where when you first meet someone, they're not, they're depending on where they're at in their, you know, relationship history or their anxieties or social experience. They are often your first experience with somebody is them doing this type of what I call the like me, like me dance, where they're doing a little bit of a Mm. dance of they're not a hundred percent being themselves and they're presenting either a self-protective version of themselves. Like I'm going to protect myself from potentially getting hurt or embarrassing myself or this, this other strange version. That's like, how do I appear as cool as possible so that you like me, like me, like me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that for me in a lot of relationships has been an immediate turnoff. And I'm sure I've turned other people off immediately doing my own version of the like me, like me dance. And he's explained to me, how you need to give people chances for them to turn that off or to take the mask off and to actually show who's underneath. And one of my current best friends, my absolute best friend, her and I did not like each other when we first met. Literally, I came home and I said, I don't think I ever want to hang out with her again. And I had this expectation of if I don't immediately click with somebody and we don't just like hit it off right away, then that's not the right relationship for me. But I kept hanging out with her. I think it took 
like literally months. And that doesn't mean somebody who you feel like completely doesn't align with you is a relationship you should continue investing time in. It's just that sometimes a, a budding relationship takes more than just a first impression. If I wouldn't have given her a chance, we wouldn't have the relationship that we have. And she's one of the most special people in my life. Um, it just took a long time for both of us to turn off that dance. Yeah. Huh, very cool. What about the people that, and this might be along the same lines of being patient, just the people that you feel like you're being vulnerable to them and you're kind of letting everything out and they're just kind of not giving anything back. Maybe they're just naturally a good listener. That could be a part of it too, I suppose. But and, and instead of, or on top of just being patient, I, I would guess you'd probably say just continue to be ultimately curious and just ask more questions, but just trying to think of somebody that's a little bit more on the quiet side and they're, they're not really giving you back the same vulnerability. And so you kind of feel like, man, I'm the only one talking here this whole hour. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you could always be direct about it and say, Hey, from my perspective, I've been sharing X, Y, and Z with you. And that has felt, you know, however it's felt for you. And my perception is that you're not meeting me halfway. And I'm curious what, you, how, yeah, how you feel and how that appears uh, to you. Because on one hand, you actually, they may see it completely differently and you, you may just have a blind spot. You may um, tell yourself you're much more vulnerable than you actually are. And so this could be a really big learning opportunity. Uh, on the other, they might have no idea. They might not be tracking what you're doing at all, or just having you call them out may just invite them into vulnerability right then and there. Yeah. And they could be being vulnerable. Like maybe this, the way they're being is super edgy for them. Um, another thing Michael has taught me is sometimes being <laughs> silent is okay. Like sometimes you don't have to fill the space with talking and sometimes sure. quieter people, you can just like be, maybe if you didn't talk as much, they would start talking. So I've sometimes been with people and just sat in what I feel is incredibly awkward silence, waiting to see if they're going to start talking. And maybe they're just waiting for that. Um, uh, it's kind of like, yeah, just sitting in silence for longer than you might want to so that they get the opportunity to talk. Maybe they're waiting for that. Sure. I think another piece too, if we go back to what you guys were saying about um, some of the, the the foundations is having hard conversations. And when I think having hard conversations, I think of uh, one of the things I think of is creating trust and making sure that they trust you and you trust them with the information that's being given. Not sure if that's exactly the route you guys are going, but if we could for a second, how do you build trust with your friends so they feel like you can go deeper and then become more vulnerable and ultimately just protecting the space that you guys are giving each other there? I think the, the most important part of trust is just always being honest. So if they are, you know, if they keep telling you they're going to show up at a certain time and they're always late, then and, and that pisses you off, then at some point, building trust means being honest with them about how their behavior is pissing you off. Or if they, um, if you have a need in some way that's not being met about the, in the relationship or something changes and you feel like you want them to treat you differently, it's being honest about that as well. For me, trust is usually built 
I think everyone has different values. I think all relationships have different values and it's going to be different for me than it is for somebody else. So the values that somebody shows, if their actions don't align with that, it breaks trust for me. If they, so a super high value for us is integrity. Someone's going to do what they say they're going to do. If I show up that way, if someone asks me to do something, they can almost guarantee that I'm going to do it. Um, and if I don't do it, they know because that's a quality of mine, it's probably because they don't take it as a big deal when I don't show up. They know that something, you know, that's so rare for me. They give me, cut me some slack there. Um, but I think every friendship has different values. Like some people are cool with people being late. Some people are cool with changing plans, like being more flowy and flexible with sure. plans. Um our particular relationships, we like the commitment. We like the high integrity. We, uh, it's easier to build trust with people that have similar values. Sure. What about protecting the space and knowing that what I tell you is between us two and you're not going to tell anybody that? Where's your mind going on that? This is actually something I'm currently working on personally because sometimes I am so excited for people sometimes and I'll just share someone else's news and it's not, it's not, that's not cool. Um, Michael never shares anything with me ever, (laughs) (laughs) but generally (laughs) if you share something with Michael, it's probably not going to come to me. Um, but, uh, I think that I do think that for trust for like someone in history would have had to explicitly say to me, Hey, I don't want you to share this. And then I wouldn't share, but if they didn't explicitly say it, I might've shared it with Michael or with somebody else. Um, so I do think that trust can be broken really easily that way. And um, it is, it, you can build that by not sharing that information. I, I'm working mm-hmm. on that. I'm, I'm working on b- having better discernment over what is information I can and cannot share. Totally. And sometimes it can be good. You know, I'm thinking of like transformation stories and WAG, something like that, right? That that's not, maybe that's not your business to tell somebody else, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm complimenting them actually, but it's just not your way. It's not your responsibility. If I'm kind of tracking you right to share that, if they want to share something, they can share it. Am I following you there? Yeah. And it's someone, it's just, it's not your story. It's not your news. It's not your information. It's, it's, it's taking away someone else's opportunity to share that. And sometimes people just don't want that even out there. Um, like a recent example is, is someone shared with me that they were pregnant and, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't even necessarily good friends with this person, but I did share it with somebody else and she never told me not to share it, but I probably should have just let her share that information and not shared that she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even if you're excited or it's awesome, um, it kind of takes away that person's opportunity to share their news. Sure. How else has creating uh, deeper relationships, more meaningful relationship, how, how, how else has that um, come to fruition in your guys' life? Do you have any examples or just kind of ways that it's shown up in your life and how it's made you just feel better, live better? Yeah. So I used to have this feeling of like something's just not right in my life, like mm. a, a little bit of a pit in my stomach at all times, um, probably since early recovery when I was spending just every, every day with a, a certain group of people. And now, <clears throat> even if I don't, I, I might hang out with a friend a single time in a week. You know, Sometimes I have those weeks 
right? It's just not very social. I just feel like so comfortable in my skin. I feel like I belong to a group, even if I'm not with them. And it just warms my heart, man. It, it, it gives me meaning in life. It makes me feel like everything is right in life. Uh, where I don't have to, I don't feel so caught up in existential questions and worry about if I'm, you know, quote unquote, doing my my life right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it has put a lot of life into perspective for me. I have less striving, hustling, grinding, and more like if this doesn't go well, my friends still love me. And my husband still loves me and my kids still love me and my family still love me and they're going to be there. And there's just this less of needing those things to satisfy me. I'm, I'm satisfied regardless. Um, and that's given me a lot of perspective of what is actually important. And on my deathbed, am I going to be so mad I didn't make more money or work more or accomplish something different? Yeah, that's that's real. That's great. It's like less desire for achievement, um, without a de- any de- like. There's no diminishment of a desire to serve other people, but it's not like a desire to achieve for accolades or finances or anything like that. Or it's just less of that, which feels really great. Very cool. I'm thinking of somebody right now that's maybe driving in their car and they're like, "Man, this sounds great. I want to kind of I want to start to dive in deeper with my friendships." Michael and Nadine, what are some things that maybe they could go do tonight, tomorrow? What are some applicable items that they could do beyond kind of the things that we already talked about, which is that rosebud thorn, some of those questions? Do you have some just applicable items before we move on? Yeah. The first thing that comes up is both of us are really big proponents of rituals. So Mm. hanging out with a person or groups of people repeatedly over time, ritual really... um, it really lends itself to connection. One of our closest friends, Bea Voce, V-O-C-E, has a TED Talk on, on YouTube called uh, The Cure for Loneliness. And The Cure for Loneliness is creating ritual. And one of the most powerful rituals that both of us have ever had in our lives is a men's group and a women's group. And I'm a huge proponent of just creating your own. If you're a man, create a men's group. If you're a woman, create a woman's group or just create some variation. You know, there, There's a lot of different things going on these days. Um, create a group, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, that gets together either to just have a casual hangout all the way to like really deep work being done. And we're happy to go into detail about that, but I would just really recommend creating one. Anything repetitive, that like anything that's on a schedule, because then it shows commitment level. Where so I get together with a group of my girlfriends every Thursday. We are committed to being there. If you miss a Thursday, you have to have a really good reason. A good reason. We've we've had a conversation about what is a good reason to miss a Thursday. And sometimes I don't want to go, and sometimes I'm tired, and sometimes I just like don't want to be there. And I still go. And that's commitment to deeper relationships. It's not just going when it feels good. Uh, and so having something you're like consistent like that, you're bound to hit a moment where you don't want to go and you don't feel good or life isn't going your way and you have to show up anyways. Um, so that creates more intimacy. Um, but you can do that in so many ways. I, I have four days a week, a group of women come to my house and work out. 
that's like a ritual that builds Correct. deeper mm-hmm. connection with us. And we just do a workout together. Um, and in these, in these weekly hangouts, we, we have anything from like incredibly structured to structure ways to make it safe to go deeper to just like going and watching, you know, you could watch the bachelor or something like that. And yeah. I think just the consistency um, makes it bound that you're going to hit different points in people's lives instead of just, you know, dinner or a walk or randomly. Very cool. I feel like we're all kind of together on team uh, below the surface. We're not, we're not trying to just stay on the surface. Let's dive a little bit deeper. And I think there's a lot of fruition that comes to that. And we talk about living longer and healthier lives. I think that's exactly what, what we should be striving to do. Can I add one more thing to that? Please do. I think, yeah, one more like meta thing to add to relationships is occasionally add some structure. So what I mean by that is if you're hanging out with the group, adding a little bit of structure would be like a D talked about and posing a question to the entire group. So it's not as free flowing as most dinner parties. It's a little bit more structured, but it can just drastically raise or, or, or deepen the level of the group. Um, maybe it's yeah, a question, an exercise. Maybe it's... Um, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, please do. Please do. We have a friend. Her name's Taylor Lou, Taylor Lou Coaching. Um, she is a master at doing this. She does these, okay. she hosts these things called soirees. And we she has different groups of people and she cultivates the group differently. And she always has some type of exercise that the group does together that makes it more interesting, more memorable, more like deepens. And one, I'll give two examples because one is like requires you already have trust with a group of people. And then one is a little bit lighter, but the deeper one is she had our group of friends get together and she did this thing called pillow talks, which you could do this without pillows, but she split everybody up into pairs and it wasn't your romantic partnership and it couldn't be like your absolute bestest friend. And you had to be on the same pillow with your faces facing each other. And we all had to answer three questions. And so I ended up with one of our guy friends, Austin. And we had this like kind of even just the physical proximity creates a level of edginess (laughs) and a level of depth that goes in there and intimacy that, you know, it's super edgy. Both of us were a little bit uncomfortable, like, damn, like (laughs) closest I've ever been to you. Um, That's like, and we had to answer three questions of, Uh, One was, how do I feel like what's one thing great going on in my life? What's one thing like that's more challenging going on in my life? And then what is one way that I can commit to today to deepen our relationship? And so my relationship with him and that can we both brainstormed ways of doing that. And that was just like so epic. So cool. Everyone left the exercise just feeling amazing. We all felt so good and more in love with each other and in love with ourselves for pushing our boundaries that way. Um, and then a lighter one is she'll put um, like a piece of paper on everyone's plate at dinner and everyone has to write um, an intention or a word that represents some part of their life. And I think she did um, a word that represents uh, like your intention for the year, like a way that you want to grow. And everyone went around and described their intention Very and cool. then they swapped papers and they swapped papers and then had to take on if that intention was for me, what way would I grow, oh, wow. grow in my life? And so that's like a lighter one that you could do with people. And it, it, it's not, it's, she's just so creative in the ways there's 
so many ways you could do this. You could have everyone sit at the table and then you could have, you could switch people's seating because people are naturally going to sit mm-hmm. with people that they're more comfortable with. You could just do something as light as forcing people to switch seats mm-hmm. and not letting them sit near their partners or um, having they make question cards, you know, like these cards that already have questions. So you don't have to be the one that creates the question. You can put a stack of question cards and put one on each person. And each person just has to answer the question that's on their plate. Um, just ways to get people talking about things that are not just your everyday yes. things. Um, yes. Those are just a couple like tactical examples. Those are, those are fantastic. So, do, so when you show up to these parties, do you know that this is going to happen? Or is your, is your host like, here we go. Surprise. I hope you guys are ready to grab a pillow. Um, I think it's a mix. But when we're okay. with our closest friends especially if someone like Taylor is the one hosting us, we're pretty much guaranteed something like that's going to happen. Um, yeah, we're, it's pretty much guaranteed like some type of prompt or some type of exercise is going to happen. Um, it's not usually at, like pillow talk where it's that structured. Uh, but yeah, we're in, a, we're, we're in a group of people that are committed to doing those types of things. Sounds awesome. Uh, as we close up friendship, is there anything else that you would add for people that want to just create long, meaningful, lasting relationships before we move on? Anything else? One thing I would like to add that I don't think um, we've talked about is, I don't even know if Michael would 100% align with me on this, but I really believe in being a little bit ruthless about who you spend your time with and really getting to know people, but not getting stuck in relationships that don't either align with the type of relationships that you want or challenge you or, or support your overall growth in life. I think it's so easy for people to feel stuck in friendships that are just, they've had for a really long time and they don't necessarily have as much in common anymore. They don't push each other. They don't challenge each other. I think getting clear on the type of relationships that you want to have. And then if those relationships don't fit that mold, it's not, you don't have to like cut them off and never be friends with them again, or it doesn't have to be this conflict or this rude thing, but it's not serving their growth either for you to maintain that relationship. If you're not a hundred percent invested and you're just, you know, doing it because it feels bad not to, mm-hmm. um, I would, it's not good for them. And it's also not good for you. It would be better to actually just hang out by yourself and right. just not be stuck there or put yourself in situation as many situations as possible to find new people and find new relationships. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And something that I know both of us do align on is like a, an exception to that. Um, we, we always show up to help people if they're willing to be helped. Like if we feel like we've grown in a different direction, but we feel really a, a real connection to someone and we see a clear way in how we can help you know, some area of that person's life, then we still give them our time and our attention. And um, yeah, we still, you know, we still try to care for them and love them. Yeah. Like an example, like if a friend, an old friend that we haven't spoken to in so long is moving and they're like, Hey, can I use your truck? And can you help me move? We for sure, if we could, we'd do it. I'm more so talking about the relationships that you're currently committed to going deep on and you're going to spend a significant period of your time with. I would be like pretty ruthless about who those people are. 
Very cool. I love it. I want to move on to family for a little bit. And this one is, is an interesting topic to me. And I, I got a lot of, um, I don't know, just heartwarming feelings when I read Michael's article about uh, his relationship with his dad. And it was just so cool to hear. And I shared it with so many people. I just thought it was well, super well written. And I almost felt like, you know, you and I are a lot alike in a lot of ways, Michael. So as I read, I was kind of like thinking about myself a little bit. And I think I'm at a point in my life as I'm kind of reflecting out loud is, you know, you you start to move out of your parents' place, then you go to college, you do these things, and then you and you kind of pursue marriage. And over time, you kind of start to separate yourself from your parents just naturally, right? You're just not with them as much. And I think a lot of this pertains to people around that, you know, probably 30 years old, upper or up years, up five years, down five years. But I'm just curious on what does that relationship look like? And for people that are looking to strengthen it a little bit more. I think the biggest thing to recognize is that it just looks different than what it did when you were 14. And, and that's okay. But some of the conversations are going to be a little bit different. And as you mentioned in your article, some of them might be a little bit uncomfortable and they kind of, you know, your parents are always going to be your parents, but at some points they almost kind of can feel like your friend when you get a little bit older. And that's a, I think that's a great thing. Um, just talking a little bit about maybe if you could highlight and talk about, illuminate a little bit about that article for the listeners that didn't get a chance to read it. And I'll put it in the show notes, but talk a little bit about how, as we get a little bit older, um, how we can be a little bit more closer with our parents. You want to say something? You were shifting over. I was trying to, I was just going <laughs> to say that people should sign up for Michael's newsletter. It's called the Friday exhale and you can yes. sign up at the Mike, uh, michaelcast.com. Yep. Right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so how does that, what was the end the, the, the question? How does the relationship shift and, and that sort of thing? I think just recognizing it first, setting the table that it's going to look different, but then also as we get older and we have other priorities, we have our own family, perhaps, how do we still strengthen that and keep that a priority, even though the conversations and it may look different? Mm -hmm. So one thing that we've been taught is that around 25 to 30 years old, there's a bit of a shift in leadership. So for our entire upbringing, our parents are the leader in almost everything. If they've done a good job, then they've taught us everything that they can about in terms of level of consciousness that they can by the time we're 25 or 30. So how to think about uh, emotions and communication and relationships and to think about the world. They've taught us those things by what they say and don't say and what they do and don't do. And I learned this, I don't know, when I was around 25, and I started to slowly try that on mentally. And when I, sure. and, and when I first started doing that, it was really uncomfortable. It felt like to even consider myself as the leader in my relationship, with, especially with my father, but with my mother as well, it felt like I was stepping on, I would be stepping on his toes or I would be um, disrespectful. That's exactly yeah. it. I felt yeah. like I would yeah. be disrespectful. And so another thing that we learned is that while we do take, we, we do become the leaders if we, if we choose to be, um, we can do that while, while allowing them to maintain their dignity. So I don't have to go to my dad and say like, I'm better than you or go to him with that sort of energy. I can lead and you know especially in the emotional realm while still footnoting him for having gotten me there in the first place. And so I give you some of that background um and you know I think the example that you're talking about I yeah if I remember correctly what I was talking about in that article is um I I realized that 
for years, I wanted my relationship with my parents to be deeper, but I was leaning on just too much curiosity and not enough me going first, Mm. not enough me sharing what was going on in my own life. And so about a year ago, I called both of them on FaceTime and I decided that I was going to actually, I'll back up uh, and, and share one more thing, which is that I realized that when my relationship was deepest with them, I was in rehab and they saw all of my shit. They saw all of like my messiness and my shame and my guilt and remorse and my depression. And I felt so close to them. And so that was, that was really telling for me and how to get back to that state that I so deeply wanted to get back to with them. And so I called them on FaceTime and I said, all of what I just told you, right? Like this is when we were closest and that felt so good. And for years I've wanted to be, become closer to you. And what's present for me right now in my life is I just miss you guys so much. And part of me has this story that because I moved away when I was 17, that you guys have a closer relationship to all of the people in Louisiana than you do with me. And I feel really sad about that. And I also feel guilty that I left when I was 17. And all, all of these things that were, were and still are true to a certain extent. Um, and I just want you to know that. And then I just got silent for a little bit. And they were so appreciative of me yeah. having that conversation. I just saw, um, I don't know, I just saw a little bit of their heartbreak to see me, to see me sad. And they immediately reciprocated. Uh, my dad immediately shared the most vulnerable thing he shared with me in years. And I got what I was looking for. I got that, that sense of closeness and connection. Um, and that was like another big stepping stone in our relationship. And so just to bring it all the way back to kind of how we started, it's start first in vulnerability. Michael's really cool in that way. <laughs> um, uh, one thing that he didn't say that is included in the shift of we become leaders, I think the shift is felt by both parties, regardless of whether people are actually making that happen or not. Like both the parents and the children feel it. And it's like, you know, we've now become to the age where we're buying houses and we have our own mortgages and we have our right. own kids and we have right. our own things that were like the parents' things to handle. Mm -hmm. And now there's that shift in, in consciousness or in leadership. Whether you choose to lean into it is happening no matter what. And so th with that, I think it's important to realize our parents, as we get these more and more responsibilities, most parents that I've been around have this maybe they have a little bit of a story of like, we're busy and they don't want to impose and they don't want to, they, 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 they're start behaving like they're hoping that you take the lead because they don't know what you've got going on. And we're not, uh, one of the statistics that's wild is you spend 90% of the time that you're going to spend with your kids until they graduate high school. So wow. after they graduate high school, what's left is only 10% of the time that you're going to spend with your parents. Holy and crap. that's just like, when you really think about that, that's crazy. Yeah. So your parents are with you now 10% of the time that they were spending with you. They don't really know what's going on. I don't know how often you're calling your parents. Of course, there's 
all sorts of the spectrum. But I know for sure in my relationship, my parents, I'm the initiator. I'm calling them. I'm reaching out to them. And I'm just okay with it. I'm just okay with it. It just is. It's okay. And the reason I've even said, hey, you can call me, you know, like, oh, we don't want to bother you. We know you're busy. And there's this like thing going on. And I think even just like having more conversations, period, especially since you have so much, you know, it's only 10%. It's just crazy. One really important thing that both of us uh, practice ruthlessly, and I think Adish uh, taught me this, is taking initiative in relationships. Um, When we first got to Austin, we didn't really know anyone and we were traveling all the time. So it became, it was just really hard to create rituals with people and to hang out with people a bunch because we were kind of always gone and we didn't already have these relationships. We're not in college college or high school anymore. And it's not just baked into our life. And so she did this really fun thing with one of her girlfriends where they decided together, like, we're making friends. And Adi told me this thing really early on in that, that she was, she was just going to be the initiator every single time. Sure. And I think one thing that's really common and that's something that uh, I definitely had was wanting people to initiate hanging out or initiate discussions just as much as me. And that, that held me back from creating a lot of relationships. As soon as she made that switch and then I followed suit, it was just like gangbusters. We, we, we had more than enough people to hang out with. And when, when we were able to put our ego aside, we realized that people, they reciprocated it in every other way, just not like initiating hanging out. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because people are really busy and they might not, totally. they might not value like starting relationships as much as we did. But it worked out extremely well. And so the reason I, I said this is do this with your parents as well. If they're, not, um, if they're not initiating, calling you or hanging out or having deep discussions, don't take that as a sign that they don't want to. They either may be busy themselves. They may not know how to. Just assume that they really want to and, and it's your opportunity to lead them there. The, the mindset shift in all relationships, the initiator is probably the most valuable person in any, in any group. The person who's initiating the group hangouts, who's initiating the conversation, who's initi- the person who's doing that is the one everyone wants to hang out with because they know that person's going to be putting together the fun things to do. And totally. it's just, if you just take on, it's not personal that other people aren't doing it. They're just not as cool as you. Like you're the cool person who is initiating all of the events. And it's, I just let go of that meaning anything about who I am as a person. It's just, I get invited to way more things now that I've become an initiator. And I think people know me as just, I just initiate a lot. Right. And I think that also uh, parlays into being the initiator on the friendship side of things too. I know we didn't really say it specifically then too, but you get what you look for, right? So if you're like, if you're looking for a certain car on the road, like you'll find it because you're looking for it. So certain things too, if you're wanting to have deeper relationships, maybe you're the one that needs to initiate some of these conversations. And when we talk about conversations, guys, and some of the things you gave really applicable things for friendships, and I understand the dynamic between people and their parents is going to look vastly different, but do you have some conversation stars, some things that you like to use when it comes to kind of having a deeper conversation with your parents? 
make it better for you. Deeper conversation with your parents. So, I mean, again, going back to starting first, I think it is just all, it, it's really helpful to think of, to look at like how you're being in your relationship with your parents as trying to let them into what's current for you. Like what is currently going on in your life and especially the things that are a little uncomfortable to say. Um, and a way to initiate that is, hey, mom, hey, dad, I have something that's a little hard for me to say right now. Can I kind of share it with you? Hey, I have something vulnerable I want to share with you. Um, and that just allows them to understand that what you're saying is a little bit hard. And so they receive it how you want it, they how you want them to receive it rather than them just thinking it's that you just sharing something casual. And then outside of that, the same way you would with new prospective friends, just become really curious about them. You yes. may have never asked them what high school was like or dating was like or what they're currently struggling with, right? What are you, what are you, what, what's stressful to you? What are your hopes and dreams? Um, just like you would with a friend. I think also some more like super light things you could do. I very consistently will just send photos and videos to my family. So like, Hey, this shy just did the super cute thing, or <laughs> we just, Michael just bought this motorcycle or, you know, just like sharing, uh, we don't post on social media as much. Um, but, and social media might not be as intimate of a way, like they're getting like insider knowledge on what's happening. Um, something, if I just like take a photo of something, I'll just send it to not only my parents, I'll send it to a lot of people. I just like send photos of random things. And I can't think of a single time somebody has been sad or mad about the fact that I sent them this like life update or life video of our child or our relationship or what's going on in our, our lives. I mean, maybe if you did it way too much, there, sure. there would be a line at some point, <laughs> but I think it's kind of hard to cross that line, honestly. And um, I do that with my family a lot. Um, if you don't have a group text with your family, I would recommend having one. Group texts are so great to just have like insider, more private communications. Um, and uh, one thing that if you're if you guys are down with your parents doing an extended period of time, because I think usually now what we spend with our family is dinners or weekends or yep. like just a couple days here and there. One thing. Michael did with me and my parents is he took us on a backpacking trip for four days. And that is one group suffering, like physical. It was my parents will never forget this trip for their entire life for so many reasons. Um, but group suffering, super physically challenging. And there's the amount of time that we're alone with each other is like 10 X what it would be if we were just home. Um, so just doing like trips together or, things that maybe are less frequent, but acutely already puts you in a position to be more connected. So you're, you're, you're kind of forced to go there because you're in a new environment or you're spending way more time together, which for a lot of people can be actually triggering, but that, that within itself can give you an opportunity to get through it and be stronger on the other side. Mm -hmm. Michael, anything to add? I forgot the question. I like all <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, th so I think I think connecting with your parents. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. You said a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was just going to say, as, as I marinate on a little bit more, I think uh, what I think about when I could see somebody as they're listening, I could see them thinking, man, DJ Michael and Adi, I, you know, it seems like it's really serious. Like you want me to get really deep and have these like conversations about fear and some of these things that I'm not really ready for. Would you say that maybe flip that script? Maybe the question is, I think, Michael, you put in your article, you know, mom, dad, what are your dreams? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? You can maybe flip it. Do you think there's a good balance between the two? So it doesn't have to be Yes, it can be serious, but maybe it's not always, I don't know if negative is the right word either, but you're not talking about fears, rather you're talking about aspirations. Do you guys follow me? I think you can definitely, I, both is important for sure. The, the more like intimate trust is generally built through challenge and vulnerability and more like the crunchy things because that's not things that happen as often. However, one of like Michael's a great example. One of his highest values in relationships is play and fun. And he needs to be around people that are playing and fun. His group of guy friends, they do like the stupidest shit in the world. Like just playful, stupid, like they'll, they'll, they'll create a ritual. I'm using air quotations for anyone who's listening, a ritual <laughs> to like initiate one of them into manhood. And they'll just decide to do this <laughs> randomly. And they'll take these things called gel blasters, which is basically like these little water pellets that are kind of like, paintball guns, which hurt if you shoot. And one of them will walk the plank and everyone is shooting this guy with gel blasters at the same time. And it's like, that is creating more connection between them. It doesn't have to be, there's nothing serious about that. It's like the most, it's stupid and playful and fun and hilarious. And they're still building connection through that. Um, I would say that having only playful and fun is only going to create a certain level of depth in your relationship, but it's also awesome to have in there because otherwise that's incentivizing you to keep that relationship. If it's only serious and hard yes. and challenging, mm -hmm. then there's less incentive to be in that relationship. I don't want friends that are only challenging. Those people are actually not in my life at all. If someone is only being vulnerable with me and only sh like sharing challenging and they're actually unloading their emotions on me very consistently, I don't want that person in my life and it's not a good relationship for me. I need there to also be um, benefit. I, I want the upside. And for me, that's like having friends that also do stupid shit like that. <laughs> and I think it's important to keep in mind that this, I think this goes back to your study. One of the deepest human desires is to be fully known. And so know that about yourself. You, you do want your parents to know you and accept you for who you are. Sometimes that's not possible and you're, you're ultimately not in control of them accepting who you are, but we all do deeply desire that. That's one of our just core desires in life. And your parents also want that from you. They, they want you to know them and accept them for who they are. And so when we know that, we can just like go to work at like, getting to know all parts of them and and letting them know all parts of us the parts of us that you know are insecure but also playful the parts of us that are ambitious but also desire solitude like all of that we want um we want to be seen and to see them mm -hmm. very cool i think for me i am very curious with my friends and I'm the initiator and I like to ask a lot of questions. I'm, I'm a podcaster. So it's like, that comes very natural for me. But as I, th as I think about it, when I'm with my parents, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. And, um, 
I'm very close with my parents, but it's just the, the script is usually them asking me questions and me just answering. And that's kind of just the flow of it, which is totally fine. But something I guess that I now I'm just speaking it into existence. So I have to do it is just, be, yeah, man, I want to become just a little bit more aware of asking them more questions and taking the same kind of mindset as I do on Zoom with you guys, as I do with, with your family. I think that would be a good way to kind of initiate the question. So this, the script isn't always flipped. And something, an easy way to do that is when you're telling something about yourself, you're like, hey, I think I learned that from you. Where do you think you learned that from? Sure. So like, hey, I just accomplished this thing. I don't think I would have been able to do that if you wouldn't have taught me X, Y, Z skills. Who taught you those skills? And then they'll probably unleash into some story about their grandfather or their uncle that you've never heard before because they had a, we forget our parents had a whole life before we were born that- Turn them into who they are. Vibrant as ours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just, just like, and it also kind of gives them this whole little like boosts their ego a little bit. Like, oh, I taught you how to be that way, and you're so awesome, and it's because of me. And so you kind of boost their ego, and they're probably so excited to tell you how they got that skill. Very cool. This is fun, guys. We got about two minutes left. Is there any sort of last uh, remarks that you want to leave to people that are just craving a deeper, meaningful, and more lasting relationship? Just a last. A little bit. Um, We've covered a ton. I just want to make sure that there wasn't anything left unsaid. One thing that I think is, is like one of the most important guiding principles of my life is a belief that if I were born in your skin with your DNA, having gone through your experiences, I would do exactly as you do. So that belief allows me to have so much compassion for other people when they aren't on time, when they treat me a way that I hate, um, you know, if they're not being vulnerable as fast as I want them to. If I just truly believe that I would do the same exact thing if I were them, it just helps me really be compassionate and, and, and more kind and have better relationships. So I, I suggest trying that belief on. And I only have one more thing to say, mostly about relationships with family. Um, Relationships with family are probably most triggering to people, most challenging. It's where your habits, good and bad, developed. Mm. And so that's where they come out. Your, your, the little 13 year old in you that had a a conflict with your mom and then a similar conflict comes up. Now you revert back to being that 13 year old kid. That's like, no mom, I don't want to do that. Whatever it is. And just knowing that one, those relationships are probably the most challenging to change and develop and deepen and heal in a lot of cases. Um, But they are also the, the highest leverage, highest value, most important in terms of um, your own healing, growth, development. That's where the the absolute gold is and to not give up on those relationships. Um, and that goes for people that their parents are still here or not still here. Um, I think that knowing that it being challenging is so normal and so still so worth it to push through the difficulty that is there. Perfect. What a great way to end. Uh, do you guys have anything that you want to plug before we sign off? Uh, we run a nutrition company called Working Against Gravity. Um, Michael has a 
company called Soul Searching Adventures. If you are a man who uh, wants to be more manly, mm-hmm. but also is can sing and dance and is in touch with their emotions, he uh, leads around three or four trips a year, taking uh, men in, into the wilderness and teaching them um, survival skills and also doing a lot of this work that we've talked about here. A lot of this is in there. Um, that's just me plugging him. Oh, wait, well <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> Awesome. Guys, I appreciate you taking the time. I think this stuff is uh, super valuable. You know, Michael, I started my podcast uh, years ago and it was supposed to be about strength and conditioning and it was for a little while and it quickly turned into mindset, relationships, and everything that's under that umbrella. And it just turns out that that stuff's not only more enjoyable for me, but just more to me, it's more important in everyday life and stoicism too, all the stuff that goes in with that. It's just kind of cool to see how things change over the years and, and also just be able to keep in contact with you guys over the last three years. So thank you just for taking the time and, and being who you are. Yeah. Thank you for being an awesome podcast host. Seriously, all right. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you're Very nice. cool. And just keep, keep following your curiosity, brother. Awesome. Cool. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, give us uh, some feedback, uh, leave a rating review. We love that as well. And we'd love to hear kind of what you got out of it. And if you're going to host a party, tell us what event or what activity you're going to do to make your guests feel a little bit more, maybe comfortable getting uncomfortable. And we'll see you guys uh, next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast. Take care.